not just that Rick and Chris uh, lived through tragedy, but that they were able to come out the other end trusting God, um, really trusting him in spite of their loss, in spite of their heartache, in spite of the deep valley, as they said, that they walked out through. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And what we've just heard is that that's what they did. And uh, they came through. You know, I could ask, I think, every single person here today to tell me about your dark valley. I know I could, and I would get an answer from you. It might not be as extreme as losing your son and a son-in-law. It might be. But I know we've all got those stories. And the reality is, oh yeah, all the great six to eight kids, you can head away if you want. The reality is this, that those times are part of our lives. We might wish they weren't. We might wish we didn't have to go through those dark valleys. We might wish that life was always good and great. But it's not. At times, life stinks. Right? Let me see the hands. Um, I've had a lot of really painful times in life. Um, as being a pastor in this church, I've had painful, painful times. Uh, you know, years ago I came and brought lots of change. Change brings conflict. Conflict kills a guy like me, big feeling-oriented guy. Oh, no, not that again. It's not a bad thing to conflict. It forces us to define our values and know who we are and move us forward. I just didn't ever like it. Um, my mom passed away a couple, three years ago now. Boy, what a painful time that was. I entered into this group of people I discovered who knew grief deeply. I felt like I had joined a club because people would quietly come to me and kind of nod their heads. But I think the deepest pain that I have felt is a time that I have spoken to you about before, and that's when I burned out in 2013. Um, after too many years of workaholism, quite frankly, time to be humble and to uh, confess my sins before you. After too many years of trying to please people, people pleasing, after too many years of putting pressure on myself, I came to a place where I hit a wall. Um, I had nothing left to give as a pastor. You know, I, I had run on adrenaline for so many years, and you know what that's like if you've been there, that my adrenal system, I studied this, but my adrenal system collapsed. Uh, serotonin levels just tanked because of what I had, how I had lived and what I was living through. Very real physical dynamics that can only be addressed by getting away from the demand, and that's why I was blessed with the sabbatical that the elders blessed me with. There's the emotional component, depression, just settles in, and you can't see a way forward. You don't know how this is going to get better. Um, it was awful. Very, very painful. 
And my question was, as I'm sure the question for Rick and Chris was, and I'm sure the question for you has been at various points in your life, is, God, what is going on? <laughs> God, where are you? God, what are you doing? You know, I had, I had worked and I had prayed and I had served. I had thrown my heart into something, and God, this is where I end up? How's that fair? And I don't know your challenge. I don't know your pain. I just know you've experienced it. You've lived it. Because this is part of life in this fallen, broken world with people who are fallen and broken as I was and as I still am. And we hurt and we struggle and we just don't know why. The message of chapter 3 in this story, which we're going through one chapter at a time, is very simply this. There are times in our lower story, in our experience of life, that are absolutely awful times. But while we endure those times, there is always an upper story. The story that God is telling, the perspective that God has about all that takes place, even the incredibly painful things that happen in our lives, that God is always up to something in the heartache and tragedy and difficulty we experience in life. It's a dramatic, remarkable truth from Scripture. And today, you know, I'm hopeful that we can catch a glimpse of that reality, and more than that, we can come to deeply believe it in our hearts and to trust God in the midst of pain. The, the, the story carries on today. It began with creation, that dramatic, remarkable act of God to bring the world and people into being. Human beings, Adam and Eve, fell into sin. Their nature was corrupted, it's called. We developed this sin nature in us where it's way easier to do what's wrong than to do what's right. We had been changed and we were separated from a relationship with God and every human being since is born separate from a relationship with God. But God wanted to get his back. That's his heart. That's his passion. So in chapter 2, God formed a nation. He began to form the nation of Israel from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and then the 12 sons of Jacob who would become the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, out of that nation would come the one who would solve the problem of our fallen sinful human nature and get us back to God. Out of that nation would come the person named Jesus Christ who would be the savior of the world. God had a plan. The upper story, the big picture of the whole scripture. Starts, this, this chapter starts and, and tells the story of a man named Joseph. It begins when he is 17 years old. He's the 11th of 12 sons. And he comes to a place in his life when there's one thing that's absolutely clear and that thing that's absolutely clear is that his brothers hate him. Hate him. For two reasons in particular. Number one, he is the favorite of the father. Uh, just a note for the lower story experience. Try not to have a favorite child. But if you do, don't tell the others about it. Right? Just keep that to yourself. But you know... This one, Jacob, he, he loved this boy and he favored this boy. That's why he gave him the coat of many colors. It was a special gift that one son got, but the other 11 didn't. 
And the brothers came to hate Joseph because of it. And and as if that wasn't enough, he had a dream one day. (laughs) And the dream was that his 11 brothers someday would bow before him. (laughs) Simple point number two, if you ever have such a dream, don't tell your siblings. (laughs) And they hated him. And, and, And one day he was sent out by his father, Joseph was, to check up on his brothers as, as they were doing their work in the wilderness. And these brothers had the opportunity to, to, to take care of this reality, to express their hatred, to get rid of Joseph. And they literally sold him into slavery. A bunch of Ishmaelites were coming along, and they decided that they would literally sell their brother into slavery. Let me read that to you. Um, that is on page 29 uh, of the story, if you have that with you. It's Genesis 37:19. otherwise says this here comes the dreamer they the brothers said to each other come now let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say the ferocious animals devoured him then we'll see what comes of his dreams when Reuben heard this he tried to rescue him from their hands let's not take his life he said don't shed any blood throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness but don't lay a hand on him Reuben said this to rescue him from them and to take him back to his father So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Ishmaelites, the descendants of Ishmael, the son of Hagar. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. The brothers agreed. So when the Midianites, Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Imagine what that was like for that 17-year-old guy. Um... Probably, first of all, I don't know. It doesn't say, but if it would be me, I'd be really angry. Get me out of this well. What, what are you guys doing? Then the disbelief of being sold. And then the fear of being taken away from everything he knew. And probably in time, the hurt, the deep hurt of betrayal by his brothers, which probably would be followed by more anger. We don't know it, but he was probably asking that question, God, what are you doing? God, where are you? God, why? Well, the story carries on, and he is taken to Egypt, and he is sold to the captain of the guard, Pharaoh's captain of the guard, named Potiphar, and and, uh, he becomes his slave in time because God's blessing is upon him, and he's a really capable young guy. He, He rises in prominence, and he becomes the steward of the house of Potiphar. He's in charge of all of Potiphar's affairs, his business. Trusted position. Good-looking young guy, Potiphar's wife, essentially tries to seduce him, and he refuses. Let me read that story to you, page 31 in the story. What a life this guy lived, you know? Uh, This is Genesis 39, verse 11 and following. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She, Potiphar's wife, caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. 
When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called the household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When, I heard, when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she's, she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you uh, brought us came to, make, to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Um, the instant response of the husband is to put this man in jail. Um, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? I mean, he had done everything right. He did the honorable thing. He did what God wanted him to do. But he is now being treated with incredible unfairness. Ever been there? You see, life for this, this young guy is like a seesaw as he's growing up. First, he's the preferred child. Then he's an assistant, and he's sold into slavery. Then he becomes a, 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 a significant figure in Potiphar's house, and now he's in jail. Up and down and up and down. Repeated experiences of disappointment, repeated experiences of, of, of what could only be described as tragic circumstance. Well, there comes the, the, the day when Pharaoh has a dream and he needs this dream interpreted and he hears through various means and if you've read the story and so forth, you'll know, uh, he hears that this man, Joseph, who is in prison can interpret his dream. So he calls for Joseph and Joseph comes to him. And indeed, Joseph interprets the dream and he says, what's going to happen is you're going to have seven years of plenty. It's called seven years of bumper crops. God's going to provide remarkably for you, but it's going to be followed by seven years of famine. You need to save the grain from the first seven years so that you can feed the nation in the latter seven years. Pharaoh's so impressed that he puts Joseph in charge of the nation, second only to himself. And he becomes this man of incredible power and, and capacity. He's up again. He's up again. Well, the famine uh, comes as, as predicted by the dream and as interpreted by Joseph, and, and the effects hit Egypt and Joseph's family. They're, they're in a place where they literally could die because of a lack of food. The nation which God intends to use to save the world is in jeopardy. And the brothers come down to Egypt to get food, and they, be, they come before this power powerful Egyptian ruler and they bow down in his presence you don't recognize it's Joseph because as was the case with powerful rich men in those days they paint they had tons of makeup on you know they didn't know who they were bowing to but the dream from his from childhood had become a reality um, in the end Joseph reveals himself to them he tells them who he is and you know what he does he forgives these guys. All the wrong that they had perpetrated against him. And I think a huge question arises from the text very simply is this. How on earth could Joseph forgive those brothers after what they did to him? How could he do that? Well, let me read to you. Page 39 in the story, Genesis 45, 3 and following in, in the Bible itself. Joseph said to his brothers, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? 
But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And why wouldn't they be? Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one, who sold, who, who, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to save the lives, save your lives by a great deliverance. <laughs> all the heartache, all the pain, all the brokenness, all the fear, all the hurt. Did you hear what he's saying? God was doing something. Let's flip ahead. Uh, I'm going to read to you from um, Genesis 50, verse 20, page 42 in the story. Another comment Joseph made to his brothers, but Joseph said to them, Do, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You see, there's something that has taken place in this man's mind. And it is very simply this. God knew, Joseph knew in his heart of hearts that all he had experienced in the lower story, everything, all the brokenness, all the fear, all the anger, simply had to be experienced in order that the upper story of God might be accomplished. To save Egypt, more than that, to save Israel and to hold on to the possibility that a Christ would come, that Jesus would be born into the world the one through whom God would get his people back to himself. Um, without the things happening to Joseph, which did happen, evil included, there would be no family and there would be no savior and there would be no getting back to God for you and me. You see, from this point in his life story um, he was able to back up he was able to see he was able to reflect on what had happened he was able to understand why God had allowed what God had allowed and you know what he got it it made sense to him from this point forward by the way there are 77 more years to come in his life he's 39 years old by the way when this happens 22 years has passed since he was that 17 year old brother telling uh, being sold into slavery a lot of suffering a lot of heartache but 77 more years of life would, would come and they would be blessed years blessed because his family was with them blessed because he was in a position of influence and of power the blessing of God on his life I want to tell you there are huge lessons here for us to learn about what it means to live the lower story for you and me. Number one, it's this. When we encounter that reality, when we encounter the brokenness and the heartache and the pain and the, and, 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 and the sense of betrayal and whatever the circumstance, the crisis might be, we can know deep in our hearts that in spite of how tough life is right now, <laughs> We are being caught up in the reality of what God is doing. Our lower story, in all of its challenges, and all of its heartache, is being used to accomplish the upper story of God. And as we live this challenge, the message is clear. God has purpose in what 
you are going through. Now, you're not always going to know what that purpose is. As a matter of fact, I think most often we have no clue what the purpose is, as in Joseph's life. Can you imagine him sitting in the cistern, being carted off as a slave, sitting in prison? Did he get it? Did he understand what was coming? Did he know why God was taking him on this journey? doesn't really say, but I think it's pretty clear he wouldn't have a clue what was going on and what God was doing in and through his suffering. But I want to tell you, God had purpose. God had a plan. You know, the, the most famous expression of this in the New Testament of this truth is Romans 8, 28, and it says this. For those, and we know that in all things, God works in all things. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we're going to keep going. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. My friends, I want to tell you that there is nothing that happens in your life without the purpose of God. There is nothing that happens in our lower story experience, even when we feel we've been mistreated and, and that this isn't fair and we don't know what God is about and God, where are you and don't you love me anymore and all the questions that might come. There is nothing that will happen in your life if you are in Christ, if you belong to him, if he has become your savior and your Lord, whereby God isn't using that suffering to accomplish his upper story. God is at work. God is accomplishing. Number two, lesson number two. God will use our turmoil to equip us and to prepare us for what is yet to come. Um, you have to ask the question of Joseph's, Joseph's life. When he, you know, how is it that he went from being this young 17-year-old, proud and, and, and unwise and pretentious and even irritating how did he transition somehow from being that to be a man who was able to rule a nation? I want to tell you it's because he went from up to down and up again and back down again before his final up. It was through his suffering. It was through his brokenness. It was through tragic events in his life that God was able to form him and to shape him and to use him so that Ultimately, God's purposes could be fulfilled. Um, this statement. Someone has said, God can't use a man or a woman until he has deeply hurt him or her. What do you think of that? God, God can't use a man until he has deeply hurt him. Now, we could discuss the phraseology of that and theology which surrounds it, but that's what the story of this man and his life tells us. How do we know that? When Joseph was called to interpret dreams, uh, he came to Pharaoh, and, and Pharaoh said to him, essentially, you know, here's the story. It's, it's in chapter 33. He said, you know, I understand that you can, can interpret dreams. Listen to this. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. This is Genesis 41, 14 to 16, by the way. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph's response, I cannot do it, 
Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. My friends, I want to tell you in, in those words, what we discover, what we see is that the pride is gone and a new humility has taken place in this man's life. <laughs> it's not, oh, you guys will bow to me someday because I am wonderful. I am the preferred child. He said, no, I can't do anything. It's only God. Only God. I want to tell you, my friends, when we suffer, when we hurt, when we enter into those times of brokenness and heartaches, we are changed. And we are changed then as at no other time in life so that through that change, God prepares us for what he yet has for us. And the third lesson is this, just briefly. Um, you know, when we're in the middle of those times of pain, I think there is universally one urge within us, and that's to get out. You know, think of Joseph in the cistern. Think of Joseph, you know, in that caravan led by Ishmaelites away from his homeland toward Egypt where he would be sold. Think of Joseph in the dungeon. It doesn't tell us what he actually did, but what we normally do in those circumstances is say, God, I want a miracle. God, I want you to break into my reality and I want you to answer my prayer and I want you to free me from this heartache and this brokenness. God, act. I want the miracle. You know what this story tells us? That God doesn't always want us to have the miracle. As a matter of fact, I would suggest to you God most often does not want us to have the miracle. What God wants of us is that, that we would endure and that we would persevere, that we would be transformed so that we are ready to accomplish the upper story of God in the way that he needs us to. You see, there's the whole reality that we're confronted in Scripture is that God is in control and he will bring the outcome that is needed even and because of and, and through the struggle and heartache and suffering we encounter. And I want to suggest to you that the question that we got to grapple with, that we need to grapple with as followers of Jesus, is are we open to let God doing, let God do these things when we are in the midst of that struggle? That's a hard question. It really is. See, this is a matter, if, if that's the case, of us sitting back and waiting and watching and looking and praying to see what God ultimately will do. It's not a matter of us trying to escape from it. It's not a matter of us trying to rush through it in a way that would somehow circumvent the will of God. It's more of an attitude, God, I want you to use me in the role that you have made me to play in your upper story, whatever that might mean. Remember, it is God who prepares us in these struggles to use us to accomplish what he wants done. And remember this. The struggle comes in Joseph's life 22 years before the 77 years of blessing. The promise is always there. You know, for me in my uh, experience of burnout, I can tell you this, that um, hardest experience of my life, bar none, hard, painful, and lasting wasn't quick. 
Um, and in those months when I was on sabbatical, as is the case with a sabbatical, you know, you have a supervisor and you read books and you meet and talk. And I read a book, I read several books. Well, one of them was by a man named Henry Nouwen. Um, Life of the Beloved, it was called, is called. A Roman Catholic priest who is a man of profound faith and insight, um, who had his own burnout experience, by the way. He hit the wall, too. Professor at Yale and at Harvard, and after he was transformed by that whole experience of burnout, he went to a, a community north of Toronto where he cared for the physically, mostly mentally disabled people. He came to the point in his life where he realized this is the best way I can show the love of God in this world. It's a, a remarkable story. But as I read the book, I read something very similar to these words, that we have to make suffering our friend. How would you react to that if you were suffering? We have to make suffering our friend. I honestly sat there, and I can remember it as just like it was yesterday, and in my mind I thought, are you crazy? You want to make this experience that I'm going through the most painful thing that I've encountered in my life my friend? You want me to welcome it into my life and kind of appreciate it and, and have a warmth toward it? Another author in a, in a subsequent book talked about getting comfortable with suffering. Comfortable with it. Um, basically, the idea is, you know, it's okay to be in this place right now. It's going to hurt. It's not going to be fun. It's going to be difficult. But it's not going to hurt as much if, as if you were struggling with it and fighting it and resisting God and challenged. You can come to a place where you recognize and believe at the depth of your being that God is in this and God has allowed it and God is taking you somewhere and God is changing you and God's going to use you to accomplish his purposes so that you can sit back and go, all right. In faith, my God, I will trust you. And I will wait and I will watch and I will pray until someday, like Joseph, I get to look back and see what you're doing now. See what at the moment I am incapable of seeing. You know, in those days, those, those experiences, I mean, I wasn't there then. I get it now, but I wasn't there then. I want to tell you in those months of, of, of real heartache, I was changed. I was changed. Um, I kind of think of it as being broken down and then rebuilt by God. Um, I literally now speak of the old Chris versus the new Chris. The old Chris was pre-burnout. The new Chris is post-burnout. Um, I had a deep fear in my life that I didn't even recognize was there. And God dealt with that fear. I don't live with it anymore. Um, I had a deep faith or belief in my life that I was doing life alone. That might sound odd to you. It sounded incredibly odd to me when I was confronted with it. But at the core of my being, there was fear and isolation. But I don't believe that I'm alone anymore. During that time, God changed my view of his love for me. It was profound. It was deep. But what I'm telling you is God changed my understanding of who he is. And you know what? God humbled me. Because there was way too much of Chris Little in my life before burnout. Way too much of Chris. I knew what was right. and I, My strength and my capacity and my ability is going to drive whatever I was into. 
And the Lord Jesus humbled me, and that verse from John the Baptist became so powerful in me. John 3, verse 30 says, He must become greater, he, he being Jesus. He must become greater, I must become less. And you see, in the end of the day, my friends, I was, <laughs> through suffering, changed to become the person God always created me to be. I'm still being changed. I still have a lot of growing and learning to do. Um, but I think, quite frankly, God formed me into somebody who can use to a far greater extent now than what I was. Who would be the better pastor? Who would be the better husband? Who would be the better father? Who would know life in Jesus more? See, this reality that I'm describing to us <laughs> um, is, is the reality of the lower story in combination with the reality of God's upper story. And I'm here today to challenge you gently but profoundly. I'm here to ask you the question, in the midst of heartache and struggle, will you trust God? Will you rest, if you would, in the, in, in the knowledge that he's led you into this and he's going to lead you out of it? Will you embrace your suffering for a season, knowing that God is going to change you, which is a remarkable thing. He's going to change you to make you a person that he can use profoundly, listen, so that you can participate, participate in the completion of the upper story of God. You. Like, that's awesome. Like, that's, that's a remarkable thing. God is going to use me to accomplish his purposes in this world, to take this world to the place that he wants it to come to someday at the end of human history, if you would. Yeah, you. But apparently what it takes... It's almost unfortunate, but what it takes is our suffering, experiences of pain and heartache and brokenness. And I guess what I'm saying to you as we wind down here today, very simply, is this. Will you wait? Whether this be right now or whether the time is yet to come, but when you're there, will you wait? And will you watch? And will you trust your God? Till the day comes as came in the life of Joseph when you can stand back and you go, ah, now I see. Now I get it. Now I understand. I was in my burnout. Very literally, I said, God, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to thank you for this experience. <laughs> you know, I'd preach to you a bunch of times, you know, thank God in all circumstances. And, right? That's what, that's what Scripture calls us to. And I said, God, I don't know if it'll ever happen. Like, honestly, this is, this is too hard. This is too much. And it took some years. But I can now say, God, thank you for what you led me into and for what you were with me in and for now what you've led me beyond. Because you were accomplishing your purposes in me. And you know what? Because of it, maybe now I can be a little more effective in what you call me to do for your sake. My friends, this is, this is remarkable stuff. This is, this is not easy stuff, but it's what we're called to. So I say to you, if you're suffering right now, and I can't imagine that a good percentage, percentage of you aren't, I know you are. 
And if it's not now in terms of what, what is to come, trust. Know that God's at work. Know what he's producing in you. Celebrate the fact of what you will be able to do for him because you, in the end of the day, will be able to accomplish the upper story of God for him and for his glory. Let's pray. Gracious God, we come to you and um, we've, we've read some remarkable things and we've talked about some remarkable things, but God, we've talked about the hardest parts of life today. In chapter 3 of the story, the story of the life of Joseph comes to us and it's instructive. It, but more than that, God, it calls us, especially in those dark moments, that we might be faithful to you that we literally might trust at the core of our being that it's okay because God is in this because God has purpose and God is going to take me through and then God is going to use me. God, we praise you for your presence. We praise you for your love. We praise you for the strength that we can find in you. We praise you that you do change us. And then, God, you take us to that place where you use us. God, I want to pray just briefly for any person here today who would say they're suffering and they're brokenness. God, just come by your gentle presence. Give them comfort. Strengthen their faith. Let them trust you. God, for all of us as those times come, let us be people of faith and of conviction. People who know that our God is an incredible God and that he will see us through. Lord, let us bless you even in those times of great suffering and heartache. Help us to remember, yeah, the lower story is hard, but the upper story is magnificent. Draw us into it, God. Enable us, and then use us. As we pray in Jesus' name. Love for me, who the sun.